Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast from San Jacinto Assembly of God in Amarillo, Texas. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at www.sjag.church. Now here's this week's message. You know, this is that time of the year again for Halloween. Uh, I must confess to you that I am starting to dislike this so-called halt holiday more and more. It seems, as my daughter Megan pointed out, after being gone for three years, you know, when you leave a place and come back and you see more of the changes, some of us don't see the changes, but when you leave a place and come back, you see the things that have changed when you have been gone. Uh, it seems like, it, you know, that, that it just keeps getting darker and darker as far as Halloween goes, and even demonic looking in some areas and some places that we see today. You know, that is the images and the costumes, not all, but quite a few seem to be bringing that out anymore. No, I'm not preaching against Halloween this morning, but I think it's good for the Christians to always remember that the boss of darkness and the demonic is the devil. I think we should never forget that and understand that he is their commander and he is the one that is in charge of such things. And there should be a healthy hate. Let me say it again. There should be a healthy hate in our heart for him and his works. Yes. Amen. Amen. I think sometimes we forget who he is. And we see him as this little guy in a costume with a red costume, a couple of horns, and a little red tail. But I'm going to say we ought to have a healthy hate against the enemy. Amen. God doesn't let us hate a lot, but he don't mind us hating the enemy. And so I believe we ought to have a healthy hate against him and his works and the things that he does. And the way he cripples people and the way he destroys people. John 10.10 10 says this, when we think about the enemy, the thief does not come, listen, except this is the reason he comes, to steal and to kill and to destroy. That is the reason he comes. If he shows up in a room, if he shows up in a place, it is to kill and to destroy and to steal. Because this reference in that passage of Scripture, John 10.10, 10, is speaking of the enemy of our soul. And sometimes we live as if he does not exist, but I'm going to tell you, he's 24-7 in the business of the world. And he's 24-7 even trying to mess the church up. He's 24-7 trying to mess you up and 24-7 trying to mess me up. When we talk about this enemy... He is after each one of us in this room and perhaps some is in a snare right now that he has put before you as I speak this morning and perhaps you don't even know it, that a snare is there. The Bible tells us this about him in Ephesians 6.11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. No, we don't use that word very often anymore, wiles. How many, when's the last time you used that? Did you use it this morning? I don't think so. Did you use it last week? Probably not. But the, world, the word wild means he is a schemer. 
It talks about schemes. It make, the word scheme in itself makes plans, especially in a devious way or with intent to do something illegal or something that is wrong. The Bible clear, clearly defines him as a schemer, one that is planning. Have you ever noticed how evil don't mind taking time to plan things so it will happen? Come on, the Twin Towers didn't just happen, hey, let's do this. It was schemed. Come on, Hamas that we just seen in the news, it wasn't like, okay, let's wake up, let's fly in, let's do a little damage to Israel. They schemed what they were going to do in order to destroy Israel. It is the nature of the devil to scheme. And we don't quite get that to think someone is actually scheming against my soul. Someone is actually looking at you and, and trying to scheme. See, the enemy of our soul does the same toward us in order to steal, kill, and destroy what we call and, and what we have. He schemes against us. In Bible interpretation, there's a thing that we call the law of first mention. How many of you have ever heard of that? The law of first mention. And what it speaks of, when it first mentioned in the Bible, we can learn something from how it mentioned it in the circumstances and what happened that, at that particular moment. It's not necessarily something that you are to make doctrine of, but it's a tool that you can use to learn about a person or a subject that was first mentioned in the Bible. For an example, the first mention of alcohol in the Bible, we find it was with Noah. Noah went through the flood and he planted a vineyard. And out of that vineyard, he took the grapes, he made some wine, and, and Noah, this righteous man, got drunk. Let me remember the story. That was the first mention of getting alcohol in the Bible. And out of that first mention, we find something that we can always tie to alcohol. It brought a curse upon his family. The first mention of it, it brought a curse upon his family. If I was to ask you this morning, how many families do you know that alcohol has brought a curse upon them? And we'd all realize and say, yes. And I've even heard talking to a person, he says, well, my dad was an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic, my sister's an alcoholic, all these, what is that? That is a curse. And it, you can tie it all the way back to the first mention of when alcohol entered into the Bible narrative. So that's the law of first mention. The second time it mentioned it wasn't good either, that was with Lot. And that story was not right. So we find that law that takes place. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 this morning because we're going to be there just for a little while. Because see, in Genesis chapter 3, we find something that happened in that garden that we can do and, and we can understand and, and we can realize some of the scheming that the enemy does. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. 
But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to this woman, to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, today we thank you this morning for your presence. And Lord God, we thank you for the word, God, today that can help us to understand and, and help us to see, God, some of the scheming, God, the enemy does against our souls, God, but what we find first mentioned in the Bible and Lord, may today, God, may we find is it a tool that will help us, God, a tool of revelation, God, that would give us strength that we need in this battle in Jesus' name. Now listen, the side note here, just the fact that there's debate whether or not this, this is Satan or he is actually using the serpent to do his will. You can debate that all day long and try to come up with something. I, you know, have you figured out sometimes we're just got to wait till we get to heaven to get a little more clarification of the scripture? Now, what I have found out about man, we often have an opinion. How many have an opinion this morning? We all have opinions of things, but there's some things that even preachers don't know, and even those that have been in the Word of God for a long time, even commentaries such as Matthew Henry, that, that did not know everything about the Word. And sometimes we must settle in our heart just to say, when I get there, I'm going to ask about it. I don't even know where I have to ask about it. It may just be revealed to us all at one moment. Not for sure. I haven't been there yet, because you all still see me here. Right? All right. So we don't know everything or what's going to happen, but we understand that this morning. But we do read this when it comes to the serpent in Revelations chapter 12, verse 9. Listen to what it says. This is when the tribulation is starting, and, and, and it says this, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and the angels was cast out with him. So we understand that, that sometimes in the scripture, it does label the serpent as Satan. And so we find that, and it, I like it, it says serpent of old. So that, that even brings it way back when it speaks of that. So I don't think we'll do any harm, but I think what we need to understand a little bit about this is that whatever the serpent was, we know that it had it didn't crawl on its stomach at that time because the curse took his legs and arms off. But we do know this much: he was under the influence of the enemy. How many have ever been under the influence of the enemy? Not alcohol, just the influence. We find that he was under that influence. The first thing I want to talk about this morning about him is that he is a sly old fox. A sly old fox. The word says cunning. Cunning means that he knows how to lead somebody into a trap. He knows how to get his will or try to do his best to keep his, uh, to get his will. 
See, one must remember that they need to be at the top of their game. Come on, we need to be at the top of our game because our enemy is a cunning, sly, old fox. Have you ever thought about that? What he has learned in all this time and how he does things and he knows a lot of things and he has an at or way. You're, you know, if there's been one Christian fall, he's seen a thousand Christians fall. If he has led one in the wrong way, he's led a hundred in the wrong way. I'm saying today that we take our enemy for granted many times because we don't think he can do anything. But I'm going to tell you something. He's a sly old fox. And he is cunning. We must understand. You know, if, if you knew that you were going to face a difficult challenge in your life, and if you knew that you were fixing to face a very difficult opponent, I do believe that you would get ready for it. Amen. Even at my age, when, when I think I'm going to find something's going to different, you know, I, I, I told someone the other day, now, instead of getting ready to run a quarter mile or whatever it may be or, or play a football game, I get in shape to go to the doctor's office. <laughs> because I know my cardiologist is a difficult opponent. And when he says, have you been exercising? I like to say, yes, I have. Now, don't ask me how long, because, you know, if you've exercised a couple of days before, you can say, I've been exercising. But we get ready for those opponents. If you knew you had an opponent that was going to coming after your life, maybe it was going to cost you your life if you lost, you would do all you could to get ready. If there's one thing that we ought to be looking at Israel right now, it shouldn't be all oh, this Bible prophecy, all of that. We're close to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to get ready for that rapture to take place. Quit arguing about all this other stuff. Just get ready. Thank you for that, amen. amen. Because it's when we have those opponents, we know that we must be the best we can be in order to win or to overcome. Now I'm telling you today, you, we, all of us have a, an opponent. We have an enemy that is at his best all the time. And that ought to make us think just a little bit. This is why we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in faith. The word sober means self-control. Have you realized yet that most of our walk, a lot of our walk, has to do with self-control in our life. It says be sober, have self-control. That is sometimes we think self-control when it comes to alcohol and different things. We need to have self-control with this. Amen. Even with what we say, we need to have some self-control with it because listen, out of the mouth comes life and out of the mouth comes death and out of the mouth can come cursing and also blessing. I'm saying today the tongue has a lot to do with what we do. You got somebody in your life always causing you to gossip and all that? That's not self-control. We need to understand that the enemy will take every advantage that he can in our lives. The vigilant means be watchful. 
One day, I walked out of the men's bathroom in my own world, my own thought, and y'all's associate pastor was standing right at the door. And literally, it wasn't an inch that my fist missed his face. It was like that close when I reeled back what I was, just, he scared me. He, and my, my reaction was like that. I'm going to tell you, if I knew he was there, if I would have been watchful, I probably wouldn't have responded. But I'm going to say today that we need to understand that the enemy is just at every corner. I'm not trying to make you paranoid or I'm not trying to make you have anxiety. I'm telling you the truth that we need to be watchful for his dirty tricks in our life. I'm not calling him the enemy. But we need to be paying attention because you never know when he has set the loop, the snare. Remember John Bevere wrote the book, The Bait of Satan. You never know when it is there. And you need to be watchful because he's after us. See, the enemy is very precise, persistent, planning, and purpose-driven opponent. He's, he is a very... Purpose-driven opponent. And he doesn't veer off the purpose that he's coming after you and me. You are his study. Think about that just for a moment. You are his study. What does that mean? He's watching. If it isn't him, himself, his demonic, his, his helpers are watching well, Pastor Billy didn't get up till six something. He's no good. He, he skipped his prayer today. He normally prays, but he skipped today. Maybe I will have an opportunity. What am I saying? He's watching for those moments. He's studying your lifestyle. He studies my lifestyle. He studies the character of San Jacinto. He, is, he's, he, he takes his job seriously. And he's watching our lives. I'm not trying to make you paranoid. But I'm trying to help you to see, to be watchful. Because this is what he's doing in our lives. And at that moment, he sees a weakness. At that moment, he sees something in your character. He's coming and trying to trip you up. He was watchful in David's life. When he stepped out on the balcony, he knew David was not on fire for God like he had been. He should have been out with the army, but he was taking life easy in the middle of the afternoon. You're his study. He looks for our weakness and he comes at us. I remember a long time ago we were playing Dowhart. They were our rival enemies. We, we, if, if we was going to be anybody, it would be Dowhart. I called for an insurance quote on the church the other day and the lady from, she told me eventually she's from Dowhart and we just kind of both got quiet on the other end of the phone. Because I told her that I was from Spearman. And, and, and it was like, I don't think I need a quote. <laughs> but I remember playing him. Coach Sherwood was so much. He would study the other team. And he had realized that when the center of the other team, before he would hike the ball, he would take that ball and raise it up like this. And then they'd say, hike. And if you know when that ball comes up, that means that the game is live. 
And so all week long before we played Dalhart, he had the quickest guy set in front of that ball. And he had the center pick the ball up. And he wanted to see who could get down in front of that and be just like that and snap and, and slap that ball. All week he practiced and he finally got the guy that he thought was the quickest. And Friday night, we were just barely winning the game. And guess what? He sent that guy to stand in front or get down in front of that center. And when he picked that ball up, our guy knocked it loose. We recovered it and we scored after that. Why? Because there was a study taking place. Now as much as that is, why is it that if we can do that as men, why do we just don't think the enemy could study us in such fashion and form because it is his job so we find that he is serious about his job the next thing I want to point out is his schemes usually stem from seeding thoughts in our minds listen his schemes usually stem from seeding thoughts in our minds. Look at the passage we just read. Eve was in the best environment a person could believe it or be in. Even that we could hope for. She was in the Garden of Eden. She was content. You agree? She was content. She was well provided for. She didn't have to look for food. She didn't have to have inflation. She didn't have any of the things that we're going through. She was in a great place. There weren't Republicans and Democrats. She was in a great place. She had a great marriage that was gone. Everything was good for Eve. She had one, a one-on-one relationship with God. God would come down in the garden and he would walk with them. That's where the song came from. He walks with me. Everything was good in Eve's life. There was no Facebook, no government, no crime, no wars to contend with. It was great. Yet the devil got her mind and her peace. He disturbed those things going on up here. Now think about it just for a moment. He messed with her thinking. He messed with the peace that she had in her mind. He goes to her and begins to see thoughts into her mind that will hopefully accomplish his will for her. His will for her was to fall. His will for Adam was to fall. His will for me is to fall. His will for you is for you to fall. And he started to plant seeds that would help his will be fulfilled in her life and what he wanted for her life. Next thing you know is that she saw the tree was good for food. Can I tell you, she never thought that before about that tree. You know what she thought about that tree, when she walked by it before that, the Lord says, we can't have part of that tree. That's what her mind was. That's what God had put in it. Her husband said, woman, let me tell you, when you walk by that tree, I doubt if he said that, but anyhow, that when he, she'd walk by, both of them, that's the tree we're not supposed to have. Look at all else we've got. 
And all of a sudden the enemy comes and seeds thoughts into her mind that will bring rebellion against God and God's word. Thoughts, seeding thoughts. And the Bible says, and she's seen it good for food and pleasant to the eyes. How many know that is lust of the eyes? Lust of the eyes. Megan, right there, yeah. She brought home, I think, six blueberry donuts from United. Put them on this little... Uh, island deal that we have at our house and I've been trying I've been doing my best not to eat the sugar and stuff like that and I walk in that kitchen and there they are you know what they're saying eat me and I could just taste the blueberries and all that so I think it was Friday night I had me one of those donuts and I was just feeling like I had sinned and so Saturday, they're all gone. I, I stayed out late uh, uh, Friday or Saturday morning. I had some, uh, some things I had to do for the church. And, and I, I got in and, and, and slept. And, and they were all gone when I got up. And, and, and I go into the kitchen and I'm thinking, and there are those donuts again. We haven't ate all of those. And every time I'd walk into that, 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 that kitchen, I would think, I need to eat a donut. And finally, I thought, you know what? If I can just get them out of my sight... Because my eyes were bringing thoughts I ought not to have. And so I took a towel and put it over those donuts. And when I would walk in, they never caught my attention. They ne I, from that moment on, I didn't think about eating a blueberry donut. Robin comes home, what's the towel doing over the donuts? And I said, I had to get them out of my sight. And that's little, but let me tell you, that is exactly how things happen with the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes and an end gate that can bring thoughts into our lives that can ruin our relationship with God. Amen. It don't have to be a donut. You can think, you can look at someone's facial expression and say, they don't like me. And all of a sudden you've got a seated thought of, 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 of anger and, 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 and offense sometimes. And, and you... Right here, the eye can bring thoughts into our minds and they're seated that, that can interrupt our lives. There's a lot of avenues I can go that way, but I'm not going, I just want us to understand that, that the end gate, our eyes can bring thoughts that ought not to be there. And the enemy's good to put things in front of you to seed thoughts into our lives. Then she said, a tree desirable to make me wise. Let me know that's the pride of life. The pride of life. I want to be as wise as God. I want to be somebody. So there we have the pride of life. And then she took of the fruit and ate lust of the flesh. She brought it on in because the flesh desired it and wanted to have that fruit. It was a forbidden fruit. I want to tell you, I hate to bust your apple this or bust your bubble this morning, but it wasn't an apple. It was just a fruit. We don't, we're not told what it is. Did you know in John 2.16 it says this for you and me? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it is of the world. Jesus was tempted in all three of these when he went into the wilderness. 
It's the same things that you and I are tempted by the adversary. The first time that he exposed himself and the way he works, the first mention of it, we find those three in the garden. And he still does the same thing today to bring failure in our lives. So the serpent got into her thought life and messed up her peace, messed up everything that she had enjoyed to that point in the garden. I was watching the Dick Van Dyke show the other night, and some of you probably have never heard of Dick Van Dyke, but I, I like that show. I think there's some real acting in those shows like that. And, but Rob, he had to stay late at work because he was having to rewrite the script and and he happened to have to rewrite it with this gorgeous movie star and Laura didn't think anything of it but the neighbor came over with his wife and started telling Laura aren't you worried about your husband being with that gorgeous movie star boy if I was there and all this you know what he did he started to plant seeds of jealousy in Dolores' mind. And you know the show, that was all, and she, boy, she gets all worried about Rob and all that, ends up showing up up there and finds out Rob has just been as faithful as he could be. But what happened? It was planting seeds. The enemy is good at planting seeds and thoughts that can cause us to get off track with our walk with God. That's what happened to Eve. He planted seeds and eventually it caused her to get off track with her walk with God. How many times have you been doing fine and then a thought messed you up? How many times have you been in worship and all of a sudden a thought comes to you and you can't worship anymore? Is that just a preacher thing? I think, okay, where's so-and-so? I haven't seen them in a while. And I'll, I'll get back to worship, sing more. Oh, where's so-and-so? I, I, I had to take all this stuff in my head. And so how many times have you been doing it? Life's going good for you, and all of a sudden a thought gets planted, or a thought is seated, a thought is seated, and your peace, your love, your, your, everything about your life has changed because something got into your head. And it started to mess you up. I've been there on more than one occasion. That's why we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, Casting down arguments in every high thing that exists itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Listen to what it says. Every thought, no matter the end gate where it came, whether it came into your eyes or came into your ears or where it came in, wherever the thought might have came from, it says we are to take every thought that comes into our mind and make it obedient to Christ. Obedient to Christ. That means it has to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and see if we can let it go on deeper into our hearts. If I have a thought to, hey, I want to bless somebody, and I say, God, i got to put that to you, and he's going to say, go do it. But if I have a thought that comes into my mind that is totally against God's word, I need to put that, take every thought captive, good and bad, and make them obedient to the Lord. What if Eve would have done that? She resisted him once. But let me want to tell you sometimes, have you ever been at that moment in your life, you resisted the evidence, you put that thought where it needs to be, and he came at you again with it the next day? You got three of you. 
I've been there. I was shouting victory the day before, and then here it comes again. The devil does not give up, and that's why we got to continue. I said continue and continue and continue until the day we breathe our last breath to bring every thought into captivity. And if it does not honor God, if it does not give God the glory, if it goes against his word, it needs to be chunked out as fast as it got in. It said, devil, get out of my face in the name of Jesus. Because it's thought life. That gets you. I have, been, I have been upset with people because I've seen the look on their face and I thought, they don't like me. They don't even shake my hand. Something's wrong with them. I wonder what I did to them. Come to find out, it had nothing to do with me. But if I would have took that thought and put it under captivity, you don't have the right to think what you're thinking toward that person. Come on, the devil is, has he ever tricked you like that? Remember, he's a sly old fox. Cunning. He likes to play tricks. I had a man in Campo, he kept, he missed several Sundays at church. I went to him. I said, you don't like me? He says, no. I said, well, I just figured you haven't been coming and you must be something against me. That's how pastors, everything's about us. Not that funny, man. But I went to him. You know what he told me? He says, yeah, I love you, buddy. And if I have a problem with you, I'll come and talk to you. I said, well, that's all I needed to hear. But, you know, I had, I had been miserable for like two, three weeks wondering what was going on. And mind games stink, really. But, you know, the enemy puts thoughts in our minds that really many times never have nothing to do with truth. Why? Because he's interested in tripping us up and messing with us. Every thought, no matter the end gate, needs to line up with God's word. Line up with God's word. What would have happened if I went that day and, you know, three weeks prior to that and went to him and said, hey, we okay? He said, yeah. We're okay. If, I, if we're not, I'll tell you about it. Right? Well, that's God's word. That thought should, okay, if I think he's offended, I need to go talk to him. That word. Here's the thing about it. And I'm about ready to close. His success is accomplished in our losses. Think about it. His success is accomplished in our losses. Who? The devil's success is accomplished in our losses. He's not successful unless you and I fail. Because his game plan is to make us fail. His mission is to cause us to fail. Adam and Eve both lost quite a bit that day. Listen, they did. They, they lost a wonderful place to live. They lost their closeness to God. They lost their innocence. Adam had to till the land. Eve would have to suffer in childbearing. Just what? Just for a moment of lacking self-control in their lives, he won. And it was a loss to Adam and Eve that was severe and it cost them their home. It cost them their presence with God. It cost them a lot of different things. Why? Because... 
Thoughts were seated. Thoughts were seated. It would have been much easier to defend the devil if he'd showed up with Eve with a knife and said, I'm after you to destroy you. Versing coming in a way that came out of the words, out of the mouth that planted the seeds in her head and he destroyed her anyhow and also Adam at the same time. Thoughts. See, the thief had visited their life and he held true to what the scripture said. He's a thief. He comes to kill and to destroy. The devil has stolen joy from many Christians. Come on. You know, some people just, they won't even laugh because of whatever's got down in them. He has wrecked marriages for just a moment of pleasure. Some walk around and offended at the world and at the church at everybody because of what the enemy has planted in their mind and they took it and did not make it line up to the word of God. Many Christians are bound by lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, because what? Because the seeds that the enemy has put out there in front of them, they've taken them, and it's cost them things in their life. Those seeds. Pride has stepped into many pulpits. I want to tell you, when the preacher starts thinking it's all about him, other than what I said a while ago, I'm going to tell you, sometimes we forget that we are just to be the under-shepherds. That everybody in the church belongs to Lord God Almighty. They're His. And we're His. Pride in many things step in. See, what I'm saying this morning, and I don't have time to go through all of the things. I thought I could just make a big list, but I don't need to do that. All we need to know is how the devil works. And be watchful about how he does that and counteract that with his word. See, the devil has played havoc on many people. Havoc on many people because he planted seeds that messed their peace up with God. My friend, we have an enemy that's real. Pastor Oliver, if you'll come. I told you I was just about done. Adam and Eve would never live in the garden again. Their loss that they had was permanent. From that moment on, Adam didn't just go up and say, hey, I'm going to get some fruit from the land. He had to plow and till the land. Eve, from that moment, to have a child, she would go through tremendous childbirth. I remember my wife one time says, I just don't like Eve at all. And if you ladies can re just relate with what I just said. They would never get back what the devil stole from them. Never. Matter of fact, Adam would be seen as the man that came and failed. And then Jesus came and prevailed. Read it in Scripture. 
But it was a permanent thing, and he did his job well, because what they did cost you and me and every human being that would be born from that moment on that we were all born into sin because of their decision to take the seeds that the enemy had planted, and they took them and acted upon them. It cost them. One of their boys would later kill their other, their other boy. Sin came in. Back a long time ago in Stanette. We had a break-in in the church. Had a couple of break-ins. It's weird how God told me, told me one time, he says, because we had this barbecue drill, the grill sitting outside under this little canopy thing, and he says, you need, you need to take that inside. And I thought, oh, that wasn't the Lord. Why would I want to bring that in the church? Next day, guess what was gone? Barbecue grill. You know what I've learned? Listen to the Lord. Even if it doesn't make sense, what was it going to hurt for me to bring it in for one night? But there was another night that we had someone break into the church. They came in and, and they, they took the safe, tried to, to open it and all this stuff, beat on it. And they would have been very disappointed because we kept no money in there. That was just for in-between services. But they stole all the musicians' guitars, their amps, all the same. What they they came in and took something that was not theirs. So that Sunday morning, I had everybody stand up because it just really hurts me when people think they can come into the house of God and give no no fear, no respect. So we stood up and said, God, you've seen what they did. God, we want you to bring the stuff back. Time passed. I mean, it would be great if God just all of a sudden I finished praying and here come all the instruments. That would have been awesome. But we kept praying. I'm sitting at the movie one night. Can't remember what show I was watching, but I'm sure it was a good one. Good clean. I get a call from the chief of police. And he says, hey, Pastor Billy, we got all your stuff. We found it. We found every bit of it. They hadn't hawked it or anything. They found it. Had a, a Fender guitar, Fender amp that I had, all those things. They found everything and brought it back to us. You know what happened? We decided to pray for that which the enemy has stolen for God to bring it back. I don't know this morning what the enemy has stolen from you. What I spoke of this morning, I just told you the technique and the way he does things. But what he plays for is to take something away from you. And I don't know, it may be joy, it may be whatever it is, something that he has stolen from you in life that you want back this morning. That you want it to be back like it was. I've been through that moment in my life. God, where is my joy? What, what happened? I started out in ministry and I thought, wow, this is going to be the greatest thing I would do. And then I find myself not wanting to be a minister anymore sometimes. What happened? Something happened that the enemy brought forth in my life and stole the joy out of my life. I said, God, bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back in my life. I don't know what he stole from you this morning, but I got news for him. 
You're not Adam and Eve. It doesn't have to be permanent. God can bring it back in your life and you but will say, God, I want it back. Enemy, you've had it long enough. I'm taking my joy back. I'm taking my family back. I'm taking my life back. You are not going to keep it any longer. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth that defeated you up on the cross of Calvary, you have no power to keep it. Now give it back. Pastor, that's just a little rough. I'm going to tell you, sometimes I don't think he understands any other language than the name of Jesus. So I ask you this morning, every head bowed just for a minute. Who would say, Pastor, the enemy's taking something out of me or from me. I want it back this morning. I want it back. I'm not going to ask you what it is, but I'm going to ask you this morning, do you really want it back? Do you want it back this morning? Do you want it back? Maybe you're here and you haven't had a right relationship with God, but you need it. You need that relationship. Jesus wants you to come. Not just to say a little prayer, but come and receive Him as Lord of your life. What I want you to do, would you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. I could tell, like I said, I could go down the list. Maybe... He has stolen your kids. Maybe your kids are wayward. Maybe your kids were raised in church, but now they're not. Whatever it may be that you're saying, I'm coming after it. I'm coming.